Hey, it's Chase from On The Table Gaming, and today we're going to be talking about the Visions in the Flames update for free folk in A Song of Ice and Fire, the miniatures game, with special insight from game designer Michael Chanel and lead developer Fabio Curry. I see you, girl. But before we get into things, in addition to all of our wonderful Patreon supporters, I'd like to give a special thanks to this episode's sponsor, a big fan of the 2021 update. Today's episode is brought to you by the 2021 updated Jorah Mormont, The Wandering Knight. Watching you across the room. Sure, he might be a solo rider, but in the 2021 update, he's scouting openings into your heart and into your army lists. And now, with that being said, we're excited to welcome back Fabio Curry, lead developer, and Michael Chanel. Uh, Fabio, you've been away for a while, and you came back bringing gifts. Exactly. Yeah, we we're going to talk a little bit about the free folk and what they bring to the game. So, yeah, I've been hiding in winter, hibernating. So not to start a bad trend here, but if we ever, uh, if you ever disappear for a little bit, does that guarantee you're going to come back with something awesome? Is that how that works? It really depends if you like free folk and not having neutrals. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, there's always the possibility you could just die. Like, you know, die out there in the ranging. No, I got to keep this positive, positive, Michael. Oh, my God. Never exclude death as a possibility. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, let's take a look at some of the submissions we had from last week's episode talking about the Targaryens. Now, do you guys have a chance to take a look at some of these submissions? What were uh, some of the images that stood out to you? Michael, anything catch your eye? Uh, I have to give special shout outs here to Duncan Rhodes. And that's not just because uh, we have a, a unique interaction back and forth on Twitter, but because, you know, I've, I've heard that he is a bit notorious in the painting world. Just a little bit. You may have heard of him, yes. And those Targs, those are beautiful, man. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, just a full Dothraki horde, you know, painted up. Not only did he paint them well, but he has, like, great photos of them, too, that, like, really sells it. Fantastic. Fabio, how about you? Well, I'm going to go for some of the names I haven't seen before. And I really liked Anthony Campisi. Campisi. I liked his dragons because painting yellow is pretty tough, and I think he did a pretty good job. And he also put them in the tree, so it all makes sense. <laughs> Absolutely. And a uh, really big fan of Dean Rothwell's as well. He's got a hero box out there with uh, each one of the Targaryen heroes all painted up, looking fantastic. I'm actually going through and getting mine all cleaned up here, too, so I can be ready to, to smash some people with some Targaryens in the 1.7 version of A Song of Ice and Fire. But I'm not going to be playing Targ for a while because... Free folk are going to be so amazing. So let's jump right in and talk about this. This is like uh, the holidays for me here. Now we've it's uh, this is gonna be the best show of the year, right? We got we got free folk and their updates. So last week, Michael, you were actually talking about how the Targaryens kind of represent uh, diversity with their their army style, and you kind of hit on that a little bit with free folk as well. But how is diversity with the free folk maybe different? from House Targaryen. With the Targaryens, you have uh, a diversity that's basically brought through different sections of you know different cultures, but mainly that's represented through the leaders and their command cards. Versus with the Free Folk, you have a diversity in their clans and their, well, not so much ideology, but this is kind of going to the region thing here as well, where you have your generic Free Folk raiders, you have you know the men of the frozen coast, you have the cave dwellers, you have the thins. You know, these are all almost different cultures that are banded together under the rallying point of a king beyond the wall. 
And yet, despite all that, in this article that you previewed here, we're actually not showing the the kind of rallying figure that everyone gets behind. We're jumping into the taxes cards, but then also a variety of units and attachments. So why hold off on the commander? So unlike a lot of the other armies, you know, uh, the, where the commander is a drastically centralized figure that's going to shape how your army plays. Uh, with the free folk here, it's going to be a lot in your unit selection, how they synergize together along with attachments and the tactics cards. So not to say that the commander for your free folk army is not important, but like, again, jumping off of what we do with Targs, where the commander is arguably the most important aspect of what you're choosing for your army, because it's going to dictate so much of your tactics deck. And then previously before that, speaking about neutrals, which also had that same focus on the commanders as one iconic individual. Here with the free folk, you have this kind of hodgepodge where there really isn't going to be one element of your army that should be sticking out above the rest. It's all about the sum being greater than the parts. So this is why we chose to show just the diversity of units and diversity of attachments to show how the tactics cards play together versus just a single individual piece of the army being like the forerunner, because that's not really how the free folk activate. There's not any single element of the free folk you can look at and go like, oh, this is what is going to you know, shape and make the army. It's all these little things added together. And one of the big concerns that kind of happened earlier on with the, the Visions and the Flames series was there was a, a line you said, and of course this always happens, right? Where you say one thing and it gets kind of like blown out of proportion and then it sort of like morphs over time, like, a, like one of those like telephone games. Um, but you had made some kind of comment about how the free folk- Free folk being canceled? Oh boy. Wow. Is that, that's the secretly this of the episode is like, by the way, they're gone. What? Yeah, you know, 2021 update, free folk removed from game. Free folk never going to die. They're going to they're gonna start branching off into like other properties. It's just going to be, I'm just going to be using those miniatures and everything I do. Chess, meh, put Dens in there. It'll work. But so for the, uh, one of the things you had mentioned was that you, you made a, a kind of offhanded comment about like maybe the free folk unit, units don't necessarily all synergize together well. Like, or I guess maybe that's what it kind of got like warped into. And yet now we see kind of with the, the free folk tactics cards, really, they couldn't be further from the case. Like these are going to be blending together and supporting each other, maybe more so than almost any other faction. Fabio, can you speak to a little bit just generally about the free folk tactics deck? Like what's the overarching theme behind it? And then let's jump in talking about a few of these specific cards. So the free folk deck, it really wants to encourage variety. So uh, the units might not necessarily synergize by themselves but they definitely do through the tactics deck, right? And here, what we really want to see in the free folk, especially because they don't have access to neutrals and they play very differently and their units can get pretty squishy, let's say, is they need um, alternative ways and solutions to uh, solve problems that other factions could face head on, for example. So what you're saying is that this is the, the thinking man's faction. Um, I think they're all <laughs> the thinking man's faction. It, it really depends on how you think, right? And how your thought <laughs> process works. And, and people have different solutions. Good save. Good save. That was <laughs> so really what I would say here when it comes to the free folk is that the statement that I made before, which I don't even remember, so that just shows exactly how things can get warped out and whatnot, that no, the individual units don't carry a lot of synergies. In fact, they are very specialized in what they do. Followers of Bone are very different from Cave Dweller Savages, different from Thin Warriors. But the thing is, is that whereas in like a different army, you might have like, okay, these are just drastically separate play styles. Here, via the use of the tactics cards, all of those diversities blend together to create a bigger whole. So 
despite the fact that they are uh, individually specialized, the baseline tactics and the way the faction functions blends those diversities together, which is, again, why you want to have them in the first place. Like, I think one of those ineffectual free folk army would be one that tries to overly specialize in a single unit type. Like, if you're just going to run nothing but thins or nothing but cave dweller savages, it can work. But your army is going to pay off more for having a diverse core of units. So I love that, the idea that so the free folk is kind of kind of like a, a Swiss army knife or like a, a kind of a toolbox army that has a lot of options. And I think maybe to me, at least what stands out the most is the, the two tactics cards, uh, coordination tactics, and then the regroup and reform. How do you see, for example, coordination tactics being used on the battlefield? And also, do you think this might have any impact on the way free folk players build their army lists? Uh, definitely. I think that uh, just the fact that this card exists makes the free folk raider that much more valuable, right? Because he is a body, but he's also a cost reduction on an attachment, giving you a unique ability. Now, regroup and reform, I think, is actually a pretty standard card. Um, it, it works really well on, reef, on free folk, but you could see this maybe in another faction. It, it wouldn't mm. be. No, not that it will. <laughs> <laughs> Internet's forever. But if, if, it could, if it was in another faction, it could make a lot of sense, right? Okay, that's incredibly cryptic here, but all right, all right. Yeah, and I think what's so interesting about that is like when you're building up a list, then, you know, I, maybe, uh, you know, spamming certain things isn't as optimal here, where I'm actually going to want to have different attachments so that I can sw- swap them around need where I need them and kind of borrow and stack and build different sorts of abilities. So... It's not going to be like, oh, I'm going to take a bunch of raiders, free folk raiders, and then dump the same attachment. I'm like, I really want to have a, a diversity of attachments. Via the use of your tactics cards and you know, your general like, strategies, every single thing that you're adding into your army is gaining a cascading kind of like benefit because it can not only directly benefit the unit that it's in, but also ones around it, especially via the two cards you just mentioned, regroup and reform and coordination tactics. So you know, I can spin this investment into one unit in a one or two point attachment. But now, via coordination tactics, other units around it are going to be gaining the benefit there as well. So you're gaining a tremendous amount of value for your points when it comes to you know, adding something to a unit. And it makes it really interesting, too, when you think about like what is the value of that attachment, because it's a lot more, it's not very binary now, right? Where it's like, I put in this unit and it gives me X effect. But now you got to be like, oh, I put in this unit and it actually can give me you know, almost an army-wide potentially effect. And, and then like, and when I need it, I can have that, you know, I can pull it over in specific moments. I mean, that's going to be really fun to like build up your skill with and learn when it's right to switch attachments or when you want to stack them against what opponents. So I just really excited. And that's something I think that really spoke to me out of all these tactics cards. And that's, you know, just scratching the surface. There's so many other ones there as well that also I think are like really thematic. I love there's too many. When an enemy is performing a panic test before dice are rolled, that enemy suffers negative one to their roll and plus one wound on failure for each of your friendly units in short range with more remaining ranks up to three. So you could potentially have like a a minus three plus three swing on that. And if you're kind of like outnumbering and like, you know, bearing down on some, some poor unit, like that's just fantastic. As as well as the diversion tactics, and I think that one, uh, you I just really love the idea here of it's not giving like a free charge or something like that, but it's allowing you to flank and use your numerical superiority to get around them. When you're going through these tactics cards again, just like with every faction, I guess, did you guys find it fun kind of coming up and like re-envisioning certain 
tactics cards or ways that you could tweak things to not only provide more of a mechanical bonus, but also capture a little bit of the flavor. Uh, yeah, definitely. And now that we have, a, I think, a deeper understanding of how these cards should perform and the way we want them to perform, we, we actually didn't need to worry too much about how off our radar they would be because we've acquired the experience. And I'd say that then we could actually focus more on the flavor and and on the actually the second level of gameplay that um, had that a song of ice and fire has. And then we also have overwhelming assault where you get to choose between rerolling attack dice, gaining critical blow, gaining sundering. And so I'm noticing, you know, there's not a, that many of those sorts of cards in the, the free folk tactics deck, but I'm noticing we're seeing quite a few just at large, you know, it's kind of catching my eye that we're seeing a lot of tactics cards that have choices like this, where you can choose multiple, a little bit more versatile cards. Is there a specific design choice or a, a reason behind that trend? Uh, you know, Chase, I actually don't believe that there are any more of uh, too many more like percentage wise mm -hmm. uh, currently uh, moving into the game than there were previous. I think, though, it's just a general scaling back of abilities and whatnot that when they when gaining an ability comes up, it's becoming more of a, a, a deal because of, again, things were being scaled back a bit. So I think there's not really been an increase in those things, but they're just becoming more noticeable when they're actually happening. Then we've also got surrounded and exposed, which allows you to get more condition token play. So you're not maybe reliant on, you know, the old uh, Chosen of Steyr or things like that or the old Mance to get out those tokens. Uh, so it's that's another cool way to have it natively built into the tactics deck, being able to get out some tokens. And then probably the most iconic card of all uh, in the Free Folk is the Endless Horde. Now, we see a little bit of a change to the Endless Horde here. Um, what was the thought process behind this tweak allowing for uh, an additional Free Folk Raider unit to join? Well, the answer to that is pretty simple. The Endless Horde uh, really didn't work if you did not have any destroyed units. And we really did change a lot of the when unit is destroyed or cards that work off destroyed units in general. So you can actually play this right off the bat, right? If you bring some extra raider units. And, and that was the idea that you didn't really have to have someone that was previously destroyed to have the card work. Yeah, man, it's really interesting. It also makes it so that the card is more valuable. Well, I mean, the card is just valuable at, on every turn. Like if I wanted to, I could dump it on the first turn and pull out a, another unit on the tray uh, on the table, as opposed to maybe like holding on to it for like turn like four or five or six. So one of the designs when it came to tactics cards was making sure that as few of them are basically dead draws as they can be. So, you know, you don't want to draw a card that like first turn of the game. Oh, this doesn't do anything for me. Or, you know, last turn of the game. It's like, oh, this doesn't do anything for me uh, unless they're like a really powerful effect or something like that. So. You know, this is one of those cards like, OK, well, let's look at the, the conditions for it. If it was just having a enemy, uh, sorry, one of your units that's been destroyed, it's useless until that happens, which can be, you know, turn two, three, four of the game before that even happens. OK, if it was just spawn a uh, free folk raider unit, that could work. But that's also in telling that someone owns free folk raider units, which, OK, you're a free folk player. You probably do. But let's, <laughs> that's not a necessary thing. And we don't want to ever have to have any mandatory like purchases or whatnot. So. Let's say you don't own any Free Folk Raiders or didn't include them in your army or anything like that. Okay, now you are a little self-limited here by the trigger because it will require you to be destroyed. But 
that's an active choice that was made. In general, though, this card is kind of to upkeep the theme of the Free Folk Army of that of, you know, just the overwhelming numbers. As you see, most of their cards still follow the same formatting that the old cards did, where they're going to gain bonuses for outnumbering you, having more ranks, having more units. If you can't reliably do that, then, you know, that's that's going to make the army a little difficult for you to play. It's going to punish you for building some specialized lists, which we don't want to see. That actually ties into the general uh, broad fact that you see here of most all of the Free Folk units received a points reduction from anything that was around six points or so has now been dropped down to five points to just encourage, again, that further mentality that this is a horde army. You have some elite options, but most everything is just a mixture of different five-point ability units. And speaking of five-point units... We saw uh, the Then, the, the Spearwives, the Followers of Bone, the Cave Dweller Savages, and uh, they're all at five points here. So we got some really interesting choices. So it, it brings us up with a, a sort of predicament here. And I know we may need to weave in attachments as we talk about them because attachments f- f- uh, figure so heavily into the Free Folk Army. But, um, you know, an, an, old, an old pastime here, and I don't know, I know... Now, actually, both of you are in different countries in Canada and Brazil, respectively. But you may be aware there's a game called Dodgeball, it's an old American pastime. So I want to imagine, if you will, that you're standing on a court across from each other, eyes narrow, and Michael Chanel staring across at Fabio. You're both there. You're going to go to war, but you got to pick your team here. So uh, maybe starting with uh, with Michael as the captain of your team, who are you going to pick first for your your Dodgeball team, and then I'll, I'll rotate and Fabio, you can pick the next unit. What what unit are you picking here to talk about? So by your rules, if I draft a unit, then Fabio doesn't get to talk about it. That's right. Oh jeez. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> now he's like excellent. How can I game the system? Yeah, I was just thinking like, okay, well, do we go with the old dodgeball adage of like, don't don't draft the fat kid first? <laughs> or... <laughs> and which unit is that? Oh, now I know. This is a. We all know it's the. Well, actually, the, <laughs> if we're going by strict, they're not uh, they're not out yet. But oh, oh okay. uh, so looking at the ones here, are we are we limiting this to just five point units or anything that we're showing? Because if it's anything we're showing, I'm picking Free Folk Raiders immediately. Okay, well, why is that? All right, so with a sneak pick here, all the the big kids are standing up there, all the five point guys, and and Michael goes that one over there, the four pointer, get over here. The quiet one that has lots of pent up <laughs> anger inside. <laughs> so why 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 the Free Folk Raider versatility? So if I'm building my foundation for my list, uh, I value versatility very highly. And so here I'm getting a free one point attachment, which means that I am essentially not limiting myself to like, okay, do I want aggression for like cave dweller savages? Do I want panic with followers of bone? No, no, no. I get to pick the full gambit of how do I want to customize these guys out to start building the foundation of my army? Do I give them a raid leader to give me some gang of bonuses and enhance my combat capabilities? Do I give them a champion of bone to really build my foundation to start going toward the morale damage? Do I give them a chosen of Steyr to go a more defensive route? Do I want to go a Spearwife Matriarch to build mobility? Cave Dweller Alpha to give some sustain and some more panic damage here? All of these windows are now open to me via this one unit. I have not locked myself into a single tactics or choice. Oh, okay. This is ignoring <laughs> any two-point or character attachments even into this conversation. And now, Fabio, who are you going to pick here? Uh, so that's a pretty bold pick by Michael there. He's a compelling argument. Well, who do you got? So I'd start with saying this game is rigged and it's unfair. <laughs> right? <laughs> Your losers always complain that the game was rigged. Well, hold on. Let's give a little bit more respect to the reigning Simon, a Song of Ice and Fire champion, 
for the 2020 year, Fabio Curry, <laughs> who do you pick to help defend your legacy? With no losses in my one game career. <laughs> Are you sitting with a belt right now? Do you have it? Like, did, did they, they did no. get you a belt, right? Like a championship belt? Out, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> More right, right, closer to what you would call an extension cord. <laughs> oh, no. This is a really morbid podcast. What is going on? Well, but you asked me to choose, and actually, what's unfair, because I was hoping Michael would choose just any one of the other five-pointers, because then I could either, either do that trick or another five-pointer. But choosing the first one is really hard. Dodgeball first, you know, it's, like, it's a close call. He's going he's gonna to choose something to smash face, right? This is in the world, and I could never have them. So then I'd say I'd, on the followers of Bone, do panic. They're actually the most versatile in a sense where if I want to spam something, I think they're the ones that don't need attachments the most. Like, I think the other ones need attachments and there's some pretty great options. Mm -hmm. But if I could choose more of them, then we want to put attachments in all my five point units. Then I could go either way with followers of bone or any other because you can give them insight. With that insight coming off of that cave roller alpha, and it's an order. So when this unit is performing a melee attack die before rolling attack dice, this attack gains vicious and rolls its highest attack die value. That's pretty impressive. So, Michael, what's going to be your next pick? I'll be picking the Cave Dweller Savages as they've got an ascending profile, but more importantly, I'm taking these guys because to get frenzied swings because I'm getting Sundering, I'm getting plus one meaningless to me as long as I win anyway. So my Free Folk Raider unit was, you know, kitted up with a Raid Leader. Plus one attack die, I'm getting plus two to hit, and I'm getting Sundering. We're looking at, like, as I want for self-damage, and I want these guys in max ranks. But here, I'm potentially getting a unit that's rolling seven dice with Sundering with a two plus to hit here for four points. Yeah, and it's insignificant. <laughs> so, you know, that's my power play right there. All right, these lines are going to scare you here. It's getting down here. Who's going to be the, the bench warmers in the end here? Uh, Fabio, who are you picking next? So I'd say, like, usually I would pick uh, Thin Warriors, but I'm not since this became, like, sort of like a dual thing here. <laughs> I mean, it is, it's, it's like all out of context, but what? <laughs> it's a little tense in here. I don't know. Uh, I'm picking Spearwives because um, then they do what the what the followers of Bone don't, which is just raw number of attack dice, right? And they also get some auto hits in with coordinated assault. So I'm hoping with these two, maybe if I can fit a couple of Chosen on of Sire on Spearwives, I could make them hold a little bit longer. And that mm. could... That could make my one-two punch combo here with followers and spearwives uh, at 11 points, only putting attachments in one of those. Fair enough. And then now we got left over here, we got the Thin, right? Why Speak to the strengths of the Thin and why maybe they didn't get picked in this format when we're pretending it's like a, a stare down and you're talking all about damage. What are the strengths of the Thin Warriors here? Sell us on them. Oh, Thins were my absolute next pick here by far. So we've rounded off our aggressiveness that we have here. We have our, you know, a little bit of sustain with the the cave dwellers. I mean, sort of. They're they're squishy, but they're the right kind of sustain. The last part of this puzzle here for me, the trifecta, was the Thin Warriors because we're getting the defense aspects there which frankly i don't really care about because we're going full aggression here what i wanted is i wanted that taunt because you know people are going to want to avoid my little death chasm that i have right here and i'm not going to let them do that so we have taunt to pull you into combat and i'm pairing them up with a spearwife matriarch 
because frankly, taunt, you charge into me, attack, and then I'm going to need a free retreat, pulling myself back, allowing me to get charge bonuses or engage you however I want. Now that's going to give me the field control to combine with the raw damage output that I had with the other units. Ignoring, again, the fact that we can throw down coordination tactics to further gain the benefit of that swift retreat if you decide to go somewhere else, or even taunt to really start dislocating units to pull them into flanks, and to, sorry, to expose their flanks and other those, those things there, because we're just stacking bonuses on top of bonuses. On top of that as well, <laughs> we're gaining the extra benefits for like regroup and reform where I can start shuffling my attachments around. But more so, I can start moving my units around to heal up. So like the thins go up, you know, they suffer that attack, they take some casualties. Okay, great. They're now going to pull themselves back out of combat. You're going to throw down a regroup and reform. Pull those wounds off of those cave dweller savages, put them back on those thins. Those thins are now being able to taunt back at full ranks there. The cave dweller savages, oh no, they lost models. Guess what? They're stronger now. So, boom, our one-two punch combo, and now we're going to go and wreck you. There we go. All right, and unfortunately, Fabio, we're out of units to pick from, so I think you're gonna, we're going to have to draw the lines of the teams there. I, I think somehow they didn't end up with even numbers of players, but unfortunately, such is life. No such thing as a fair fight. And uh, to be very honest, just to compliment on that, really, the idea of working with these like three-unit combos, right, with three full creators and two other more expensive units, um, it really works and it really pulls off. There are other ways. I'm not saying that this is the only way to make free folk work at all. It's it's really interesting once you start mixing them up and they really, if you have two different ones and each one is very specialized in what it does, your opponent really needs to make tough choices and you're always giving tough choices to your opponent. What's really compelling, I think, is that um, the game is already a game about layers, right? It's like you have your battlefield, you have your tactics board, you have your tactics cards. Now we're also thinking about, you know, from the free folk perspective, it's like, okay, well now you've also got to think about like, how can you be layering your attachments, layering your troops so that you can move things around so that you can set up some of the combos that you're talking about. And so it suddenly becomes like a lot of not only large scale thinking, but also some of the micro like, how do I set this up so I can get this combo? But, you know, I can't just be playing for this one combo. I got to be thinking about how I can set it up in other areas as well so that I've got, you know, a backup plan and your opponents can be trying to predict it. It just seems like so many fun, like additional mind games being added in. And it also only works if your units are alive, right? Yes, exactly. And so, Fabio, maybe you could probably answer this best. Um, so you heard Michael just talking about the free folk, right? He sounded pretty passionate. So, you know, you might suspect that there might be like a little bit, a little bit of love for the free folk in that heart of his. It's not just all like neutrals and darkness. <laughs> no, no comment. Is that <laughs> I'd say love and hate walk hand in hand, right? And <laughs> I try to maintain balance in all things. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, these are fantastic, and I'm so excited to get these on the table. The free folk look amazing. Targaryens looked amazing. Neutrals looked amazing. You know, Baratheons. So everything so far has just looked so great and really compelling. And it seems like there's a lot of like, you know, new ways to think about the game still within the framework. So it's not like it's something entirely new, but it's like kind of a, a new spin on, on what we really already enjoy. Any idea of things that might be coming down the line in the future? What do you mean? This is the future, right? This is uh, the future. Ah. Future is now, old man. I didn't know when uh, when Fabio was on his uh, his walkabout when he's out there on his vision quest out beyond the wall, and he had the visions of the free folk, and he came back if he saw any other looming threats arising. But I guess we'll have to wait and see what the visions bring for next week.
It's Starks. Or are you messing with us? I mean, maybe. I guess you'll have to see next week. <laughs> okay. So who knows? The mind games. Lots of this will be like its own like kind of like betting game here where it's like we gotta read Michael's bluff there. Or is he not bluffing? I don't know. Ah. Lady or the tiger. We're going to wrap things up there. Be sure to leave some painted images of your free folk forces on the On the Table Gaming Facebook page so that we can respond to them on next week's episode. And in the meantime, we hope we get your miniatures on the table. Mm-hmm.